Good morning, everyone. It's good to see you today, uh, and I'm glad that you're with us in worship. Once again, if you're just joining us, my name is Scott Gilliland. I'm one of the associate pastors here at Lover's Lane, and I'm glad to have you with us in Thrive today for our morning of worship. I see, uh, by the way, let us know that you're with us. I'm, I'm seeing on chat, we've got Judy, uh, Beth, uh, Julie, Sarah, Bianca, uh, Christine. Glad all of y'all could be with us today. I hope you guys are having a good Sunday, uh, and I hope wherever you are that you are safe and and enjoying your time as best as you can. Uh, And I hope that this morning blesses you. So we are continuing in our sermon series called Soul Reset, uh, where we have been walking through uh, the season of Lent, the season of preparation for Easter. And we've been talking about uh, this topic of of what does it mean when we hit breakdowns in our lives or we hit a wall or we we hit what feels like a burnout season. And, And what is it in our faith, in our walk with Jesus? What are those simple things that we can turn to or return to uh, that can give us new life and new hope because of who Jesus is for us. So today we're going to talk about uh, Palm Sunday. We're going to get to Palm Sunday. It's Palm Sunday, right? Uh, I I wish that we could all be together to see our kids wave their palms around, and we're going to see them in a little while. Um, And when Jesus walked into Jerusalem on Palm Sunday, um, people were celebrating him. It's a day of celebration, a day when people shouted Hosanna, but people were celebrating for different reasons. Some were celebrating Jesus because they saw him as a a great king or a a conquering general. Some people saw him as a great teacher or a prophet. Some people saw him as a rebellious uh, miscreant uh, and and an uprising starter. Um, Today, I want us to consider seeing Jesus with another lens. There's so many layers to who Jesus is and, and how God loves us through Christ. And today I want us to consider one more. Uh, And that lens is going to come to us through a reading of John's gospel in chapter 3, way before Palm Sunday. Um, John's gospel in chapter 3. If you have your Bibles or you have a Bible app, go ahead and open it up there now. You'll also see it on the screens. And this text, uh, it, it comes to us when Jesus is teaching a man named Nicodemus. He's an older uh, Jewish leader, and Jesus is revealing new things about his faith to Nicodemus, and he's revealing things about himself to Nicodemus, and that's where we join John's gospel in the third chapter in the 14th verse. So let's get straight in. It's only three verses long, but there's a lot there, four verses long, but there's a lot there, and, and there's a lot for us to talk about. So let's begin. Jesus says this, Just as Moses lifted up the snake in the wilderness, so must the human one be lifted up, so that everyone who believes in him will have eternal life. Now here's some words you've probably heard before. God so loved the world that he gave his only son, so that everyone who believes in him won't perish, but will have eternal life. God didn't send his son into the world to judge the world, but that the world might be saved through him. These are the words of God for the people of God. Let us say wherever we are, thanks be to God. So let's walk through this scripture verse by verse, line by line. Because like I said, maybe you've heard these words before. Maybe you haven't. Maybe you think you know what they mean, or maybe you're scratching your head. But 
I'm willing to bet that there's more here than we first thought. I know this past week when I looked at these words, I've read these words dozens and dozens and dozens of times, and I still walked away with something new. That's the power of a living text. By the way, Jonathan, good to see you this morning. Heath, Jenny, Brandon, glad you're with us. Um, so that first sentence, Moses and the snake, right? Maybe you missed that. It said, just as Moses lifted up the snake in the wilderness. So G- what is Jesus talking about there? What is, what is he referencing? You know, Jesus knows scripture, uh, frontwards and backwards. He doesn't just know the greatest hits. He knows the deep cuts, right? And this is a deep cut of scripture. This, this comes to us, the story that he's referencing comes to us from the book of Numbers chapter 21. I know that you've studied that one a lot, right? Um, you're, you're forgiven if you've never read this story before. So in the book of Numbers, the Israelites are walking through the wilderness. They're wandering for those 40 years as they're trying to find their way to the promised land. And it's a season that's difficult and challenging, in some ways isolating. And yet it's also a season when they come to understand who they are and they come to find their identity as God's people. But when they're wandering, they do, they do something that I wonder if we've done uh, these last few weeks as we have felt isolated and kind of stuck and wondering when this will ever end. They begin to grumble. See, when they first leave Egypt and they go through the Red Sea and Moses leads them out of captivity and God's power frees them from Pharaoh, right? They are so thankful and their, their hearts are bursting with gratitude, just like yours and mine would be when we've encountered uh, seasons of celebration in our life when things are going really well and then they hit the wilderness. And it goes on and on and on and on and on and slowly that gratitude fades and it turns into grumbling. Have you ever been there before? And Moses sees something happening that their grumbling is actually causing snakes to begin to attack them. Now, you know, you read the Old Testament and you go, whoa, you know, is this something that God's choosing to do to these people? And, you know, I wonder if we could see this as maybe their, their toxicity becoming personified in these snakes that are attacking them. They've got this behavior that's out of control and it's beginning to to become toxic within their community. And so Moses, God tells Moses to build a bronze staff that has a serpent coiling up it. A staff with a serpent coiling up it. It looks a little bit kind of like this. There's a picture of something called the caduceus. Maybe you've seen this before. A staff with a serpent coiling up it. This is actually the symbol for the medical community. You've seen this before. It's a symbol of medicine and health care. And it actually dates back. It comes from this story from Numbers 21 of Moses lifting up a bronze staff with a serpent. And the reason is because when Moses lifts this staff up, everyone who looks upon this staff, everyone who looks upon this snake on a stick is saved. They're not bitten. They're not struck. They're not poisoned. They're saved. Jesus is saying that he's kind of like Moses' serpent on a stick. He's kind of like that in the fact that he's someone who's bringing healing, but it's a different kind of healing, and it's solving a different kind of problem. See, he'll be lifted up, it says, too, on a stick of his own, this time on a cross. And everyone who looks upon him, who witnesses this miraculous, dramatic act of love, will be saved. But the way that they're healed and what they're saved from is something entirely different than what Moses was trying to solve. See, Moses' problem was a behavioral one. 
The Israelites were grumbling when they should have been grateful. He was trying to get them back into that spirit of gratitude that was going to sustain them during this long journey. And they were getting toxic in their attitudes in the wilderness. He was trying to solve a behavioral issue. But that's not the problem Jesus is addressing. Jesus is addressing something far deeper. He's addressing sin not just as behavior, but sin as we say in theology that is, get ready, ontological Now, I I don't like unnecessarily obtuse words, right? Ontological just means that there is an aspect of sin that affects the way that we are in our very being. It's not necessarily just what we do. It's not our actions. There's no amount of acting right that's going to make us better. There's there's an aspect of sin that has poisoned us, that that is like a virus even, that has attacked us at the core of who we are. And there's no amount of good behavior that's going to solve it. So it's not just about what we do. Jesus is trying to save us from something that's, that's poisoned, that, that's like a virus that's infecting the very essence of who we are. Now I think that John knows that understanding sin in this way, understanding the work that Jesus has before him in this way, it could lead people to a pretty dark understanding of, of both human beings and God's relationship with us. Maybe you've heard churches or, or pastors before that talk about human beings as these awful, despicable things, right? We're infected with this sin. We have this virus. We're, we're like worms. We're, we're garbage. We're less than nothing. Have you ever heard a church or a preacher talk like that? I think John knows that understanding sin in this way, and, and that is the way that we understand sin, understanding sin in this way could lead you down that kind of a dark path. But that's not the biblical understanding of God's love for us or the way that God sees us. That's not the kind of God that John's testifying to. He goes on in the very next verse to say, for God so loved the world, right? Not God was so uh, disgusted by sin. God so loved the world. Why did God come down in the person of Jesus Christ? Not out of anger, not out of frustration, not out of disgust, but out of love. When God sees us, God doesn't see the infection, the virus, the the sin that infects us at our core. God sees somebody beautiful. God sees somebody who is made to be good, and not just good, but very good. God sees someone who could be perfect. It's that love of God that compels God into our world. You know, God doesn't see us as, as people who are infected and then push us away, right? Social distancing is good for us, but it doesn't apply to God's love. God doesn't push us into further, social, into further isolation. God steps in closer than before, and God becomes flesh to offer us life when sin offers us only death. That's the kind of love that we're talking about this Palm Sunday. So in theology, when we talk about how God saves us, how is it that God rescues us from this sin and this death? How is it that God makes this right? Moses used a a serpent on a stick. How does God use Jesus and the cross to make us well? When we talk about how God saves us, what we're talking about is atonement. Atonement. It's this idea of, of how is it that, that Jesus actually fixes what went wrong? How are we atoned to be with God? And what I hear John shouting from the rooftops in chapter 3, what I hear Jesus revealing to Nicodemus is what we call therapeutic atonement. Therapeutic atonement. Jesus heals us by being. Therapeutic atonement. Jesus heals us by being. 
He's revealing to Nicodemus that he is here to heal us in a way that we can't heal ourselves. There's no amount of correct action that's going to set things right. Now, this isn't the only way we can understand Jesus' healing or Jesus' saving grace, right? There are so many different ways to understand atonement, but this is the one, this is the lens I want us to look through this Palm Sunday. What does it mean for Jesus to be one who heals us simply by being? It's this idea that even by simply coming down in the person of Jesus, God began a healing work that was summed up on the cross by living completely free from sin, both in action and in person, and offering us a beacon of light to look upon and receive healing as well. That when we look upon the gift of love offered on the cross, when we look upon the person of Jesus, just like the Israelites seeing the snake in the wilderness, we can see healing and light and love and we can receive those things as well. So as I said before, today is Palm Sunday, right? It's the day when we remember Jesus writing in and today I wonder if we could be in that crowd waving our palm branches, shouting Hosanna, and rather than seeing Jesus as a king or, or as, uh, as a teacher, which he was, as a prophet, yes, all those things. What if we focus, though, on Jesus as a healer? What does it mean for Jesus to be a healer who heals us in this season? Now, I know that, there are, that we have prayers for physical healing, but there's a lot of emotional and, and psychological and, and mental and spiritual healing that we need as well. What does it mean for us to see Jesus as a healer? Let's talk about Jesus as a healer this morning. Dwayne says, I can get used to church like this. Dwayne, I hope you don't get too used to it. I expect to see you back in here before too terribly long. God willing. So let's talk about what it means for Jesus to be a healer. Here's what I know. I know know a couple things about Jesus as healer. I know this because of what John's gospel tells me. First, in verse 17, John says, Jesus says in the Gospel of John, God didn't send his son into the world to judge the world. Here's the first thing I know about Jesus as a healer. Jesus diagnoses he doesn't judge. Jesus diagnoses he doesn't judge. Now, there are different kinds of healers, right? Some healers are really good. I've got a doctor who's a good doctor. And when I go into my doctor's office, he doesn't say, Scott, what are you doing? Why are you letting yourself go? Or he doesn't say, Scott, you know, you seem really mentally unwell. Yikes, you seem crazy. You know, what's wrong with you, Scott? My doctor's a good doctor. My doctor can look at me and say, hey, Scott, something's off. A couple years ago, my doctor could look at me and say, Scott, I just had you fill out this, this questionnaire, and I think it might be good for you to see a psychiatrist. I think you have depression. He said that with every ounce of grace he could. Or maybe he's, in, in past years he said, Scott, hey, I, I want you to try laying off the soda a little bit. I know you love your Dr. Pepper, but I want to see if maybe we can uh, get your cholesterol down in a healthier place for a man your age. Let's, let's work on that a little bit. See, I think a good doctor is able to offer us the diagnosis we need, even when it's not the diagnosis we want to hear, but not with judgment laced in there, Right? Jesus knows how to diagnose, and especially when it's challenging. As soon as he walks in on Palm Sunday to Jerusalem, the first thing he does is he goes to the temple, and he sees it's become, as he says, a den of robbers. There's money changers. There's corruption. So he starts flipping over tables, and he tells them, this is not what my, God, what my father's house was ever meant to be. Jesus knows how to offer a challenging diagnosis. But rather than, than presenting it out of shame and out of judgment, Instead, Jesus, like a good doctor, like a good healer, instead paints a picture of what health and holiness looks like and then motivates us to run in that direction with him, right? 
Scott, what could it look like for you to wake up every day and actually be excited? Scott, what could it look like for you to finally get your, 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 your weight under control like you've been talking about doing for years? Jesus paints a picture like a good healer. Scott, what could it look like for your life to be one of fullness and abundance regardless of your circumstances? What if, what if Scott, what, what would it be like if your life was about others-oriented service and not just about meeting your own needs? Scott, what would it look like if? That's the kind of healer that Jesus is. God didn't send his son into the world to judge the world. Jesus diagnoses he doesn't judge. But here's the other thing I know about Jesus. That verse continues and it says, it says this, sorry about my papers, they're getting stuck to, to each other. He says, but that the world might be saved through him. God didn't send Christ into the world to judge the world, but that the world might be saved through him. That word for judged, it actually comes from a Greek word that, mean, that's, that says krino. It's a Greek word krino, to judge. But, but more than that, it's, it precisely means to judge by separating, by pulling one away from another, by cutting off the bad and keeping the good, by naming the righteous and the unrighteous and separating them, cutting them apart, pulling them apart. That's the kind of judgment that it's talking about. It says that not only did God not send Christ to judge the world in that way, but that the world, the world, no qualifiers, might be saved through him. I know this. Second thing about Christ as healer, God's heart is that all would be healed. God's heart is that all would be healed. All would be healed? Scott, you mean I could be healed? Yeah, you could be healed. What about my family? Yeah. What about my parents? Yeah. What about my friend that I don't get along with anymore? Yeah. What about politicians I don't like? Yeah. What about people that don't believe in Jesus yet? Yeah, God wants them to be healed as well. Scott, what about, what about, what about, what about? Yes, so that the world could be healed, could be saved. God's heart is that all could be healed, could be saved. It's not enough for God that some could be saved. It's not enough for God that the bad, the unrighteous would be removed. Lord, I hope not or else I wouldn't be in that boat. God had done that before. We've seen that before in the story of Noah and the ark, right? Where a small remnant, a small family who's good gets saved and everybody else is, has to be drowned in the flood, right? That, that story is there and the rainbow's in the sky at the end to be a reminder that that is not the way that God is going to operate. We don't have a God who's satisfied with saving some we don't have a God who's satisfied with healing some of the world. We don't have a God who's like an overzealous orthopedic surgeon, right, ready to amputate whatever they think doesn't fit. God is here bearing a remedy, not a hacksaw. It's not about who's in and who's out. God says, I want everybody in. I want the whole world in. I don't want to save just a part of this. I want to save the whole daggum thing. That's the kind of God I can get behind. That's the kind of God that that I can worship, that I can adore. That's the kind of God I can wave a palm branch for and shout Hosanna for. Because it means not only does someone like me get in, but that means even the folks that I can't imagine could receive God's love, get to receive God's love. That is the kind of God worth worshiping. And friends, it's not as though God is offering Christ or death. It's not that Jesus comes here to say, choose me or choose death. God sends Christ in response to death. Sin and death are real. They're universal. They infect every single one of us. There's no amount of being righteous that gets you out of this. God sends Christ in response to death, 
to say, I refuse to let sin and death win. I refuse to let this be the final word. Our God speaks loudly, speaks clearly, acts swiftly, acts fully and eternally, and loves well. So, I hope you're seeing Jesus as a healer like I am this morning. I hope this Palm Sunday you're beginning to to witness him walking into Jerusalem and you're waving your palm branch and saying, I need healing. I hope you're beginning to, to ask yourself, where is it that I need healing, that I need to see Jesus at work in my life? But as I reflect on the words we've read this morning, I, I hear two very loud and clear asks that the Gospel of John is making us this morning. The first is this, watch. Watch, look and listen for the healing work of Jesus. I know there's so much news right now about, about sickness and about death. And I'm not asking us to ignore the realities of our world. What I am saying is, what if we could also look intently and find those, those visions and beacons of healing in our lives, in our friends' lives, in our children and parents' lives, in the lives of our community, in the lives of our world? How can we find those things and cling to them and say, Jesus, I see you at work. I see the healing, even in the midst of the sickness. Maybe type this in chat right now. If, if you've already seen this this past week, where, where is the healing you've seen? Because it's not enough for us just to watch. The second ask I hear being made is this. Be a witness. Be a witness. Write these two things down. This week, it's gonna help you live a better life, I promise you. Every day, let's watch and let's witness. Witness, share the gift of healing for those who need it. Share the gift of healing with those who need it. If you're seeing healing in your life, in your friend's life, in your community's life, in the world, Trust me, there is somebody who needs to hear that because the news right now is is hard and people are isolated and and people are depressed and people are wondering when this is gonna end and and how it's ever gonna get better. And you know what is one of the best remedies for that? For keeping clear eyes on the empty cross of Christ, for seeing the healing at work, for seeing the love of God at work and then promoting it, putting it out there, putting it on social media, calling up our friends and family saying, guess what I just saw the other day? Guess what I just know? I just saw Jesus at work. I just want you to know that. Now, that may not sound like much, but for somebody, that may be the most important message they receive all week because they just needed a point of light. They needed you to lift up the staff of healing for them to see. So this week, we're gonna watch and we're gonna witness. We're gonna look for the healing work of a loving God and we're gonna tell others about it as well. My friends... It's been good to be with you this morning. I hope that you've enjoyed this passage from John's gospel as much as I have. Let us pray. Gracious God, we give you thanks for this day. We give you thanks for this ability to worship even over the internet. God, we we do wish we could gather together and yet we know that we're doing the right thing by staying apart right now. And even though we can't embrace one another. Physically, we can embrace one another in our hearts and in our spirits. God, we thank you for the gift of your servant, John, the way in which he told your story, the story of your son, and that he put every word in there for a reason. Jesus is a healer, but a different kind of healer than Moses, a different kind of healer than we see in our world. Jesus is a healer that heals things in a way that nothing else can sets us right in a way that we don't really have full control over, that all we can do is catch the vision that Christ has for our lives and then run with him in that direction. God, give us the strength 
to receive the diagnoses we need this week and in the weeks to come. To hear Jesus say, hey, I know you're not perfect, but you're mine and I love you. And if you'll hold my hand and if you'll run with me, there is a better, more abundant, healthier, holier life that is waiting for you. God, we give you thanks for the gift of this community, the gift of this fellowship and this worship. God, maybe our hearts have been turned into hearts that complain this week. Would you return us to hearts of gratitude as we prepare to receive your son again on Easter and we receive the resurrection on Easter. All of this we pray in the holy and precious and resurrected name of your son, Jesus the Christ. Amen.